Welcome to the Red Rain Podcast. Here is your host from Revenge of the Birds, Walter Mitchell. Hey, Kyle Little Rock, glad better. Thank you very much. Uh, the intro. Hey, Cardinal fans, uh, you know, it was quite a night against the Chiefs, thirty-eight to ten. You know, there were some positives and. We'll talk about that a little later. But coming out of the game, um, there were some concerns. My greatest concerns were about Colt McCoy, Isaiah Simmons, and Jonathan Gannon. And I want to express those concerns. And I also want to present um, kind of a plan, I think, what would be the the best plan moving forward with all three of the, the, the uh, you know, the men I just mentioned. So, um, yeah, I've just been uneasy from the get-go about Colt McCoy still being on the Cardinals roster this year. It just seemed like a Kurt Warner moment to, for him to retire at the end of last year, plus with a coaching change. Um, you know, I've always valued Colt McCoy, and I thought the way he played two years ago in those wins uh, – NFC West road wins was outstanding. And that was kind of the height of his game. And then last year, he had the outstanding game against the Rams and completed the trifecta of beating all three um, NFC West teams on the road. But last year was tough for Cole. I mean, he, he was hardly available in training camp with the arm ailments, ailments. I mean, he's been battling arm ailments now. He's 36 years old. But then to compound it with the concussion, season-ending concussion he suffered at Denver, God, that was tough. I felt so bad for him. I mean, he's a baller and a gutsy, gutsy player. Um, And, you know, at this point in his career, I mean, I was kind of hoping that he, you know, a couple years ago, that if Kyler's started to struggle, which he did down the stretch. The Cardinals would play Colt more because I felt like Colt was pretty hot in that offense and how it was, you know, meant to be run. Um, But at no time did I ever mean to suggest that Colt McCoy is more talented than Kyler Murray. It's just that Kyler, you know, was trying to battle through injuries. And, you know, Colt played so well against the 49ers and Seahawks. It just, you know, I... I thought maybe you could have a plan of, you know, at least, you know, using Kyler in packages and Colton packages. Um, I don't think there's any question that Colt resetting the bar the last year um, with that win in L.A. um, and convincing win, you know, and suddenly the offense was clicking, did a – he did a good job in encouraging Kyler to come back strong, and he did. I mean, that Kyler played maybe his best three quarters of consecutive football um, of the season in that Chargers game. Um, you know, in his first first taste back after after Colt had uh, had, had shown what he did in L.A. Uh, you know, so I mean, it, it was kind of like picking up where Colt left off when Kyler came back and at least on the good parts of Colt. But after that, I mean, Colt just really was hurting. I mean, that Patriots game, 
he gutted it out and tried to play, but uh, you could tell his arm was, you know, really ailing him. And, you know, then he tried to gut it out in Denver and got the concussion. And he just wasn't physically um, able to hold up last year. And that's why this year I just found it curious that with a new coaching staff, you know, yes, Cole had one year remaining, but the Cardinals could also save money by letting him go. I just was really curious as to why that decision was made. And now I'm even more curious as to why, you know, they're going to hold on to him. Um, because, you know, you just looking at him play, he's just not moving the, the team. I mean, you know, um, what has he got? 42 yards of total offense and five drives and, um, you know, something like that. I mean, and his third down decisions, he, he made one good one to Rondell Moore, but, you know, other than that, I mean, the first third down decision to, to throw a two-yard pass on a third and four to Rondell Moore, which I'd stick on Moore, too. He should know where the sticks are. That's just – that is just a giveaway, um, you know, um, turn it over to the punt team. The second one on the overthrow to um, to Moore on a on a corner out, where Moore had a small window, but he he had a window there. Um, that was reminiscent of Kyler last year overthrowing on third downs, out of bounds, and then you know the misfire to McBride who was open, you know, get it out in front of him, and that's a third down if he catches it it was just very disappointing i was yelling (laughs) i was upset um you know and then to hear jonathan gannon after the game just say i thought it went fine i'm gonna get to that in a minute um you know if if he actually believes that we're all in trouble um this was not fine it was not acceptable we're playing at home and, you know, I mean, this is, you know, teams aren't preparing that well yet um, for anybody, but you should be able to move the ball, given two chances in two games, and he hasn't done it. I mean, meanwhile, you know, you have Clayton Toon, who I see bawling his butt off trying to move the team, and he has incredible poise, Um Boy, does he hang in there, and his escapability, I thought, was special in that game. I mean, Steve Spagnuolo, I mean, Jonathan Gannon embraced him after the game, and I I think the plan, he had asked Spagnuolo to throw the kitchen sink at tune. And I think given that context and how much pressure they're trying to throw it at tune to rattle him, he never rattled. I'm so impressed with that. Then I wake up the next morning, and Bob McManaman, as an article, Clayton Toon fails to show anything special in Cardinals' loss. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? I mean, I mean, come on, man. I mean, I felt compelled to tweet back, you know, to cite his article and said, what do you, what did you expect, Bob? Toon was getting the kitchen sink thrown at him by Spagnuolo, and the fact that he never got sacked is special. His escapability was special. His two touchdown passes, 
Both called back on dubious calls were impressive. Colt can't move the team. This kid does. So, I mean, I just thought it was, like, bizarre that you'd want to mitigate the effort and some of the really good things that he did in that. Without Clayton Toon, there's no ball game. There's no ball game last week. He at least gave us some hope. And this kid doesn't play scared. I mean, that's just, that's a something special in itself. I mean, he's calm back there. He and he got a very good sense of where the rush is coming from, and how to feel it and how to step around it. I mean, there are times with his footwork and his stepping around pressures that I, I see. You know, the the footwork are is Brady esque and Burrow esque. Um, I love that. He really gets a feel, and he'll throw from that pocket. Yes, he's overcooked a couple balls, but that one over the middle to Pichelia, Pichelia probably catches that eight out of ten times, unfortunately. You know, he didn't. The the pass he threw to the tight end, to Guy, um, unfortunately, you know, was right on the money, and he dropped it. There were drops there that didn't help. But this is a kid who's got 268 yards in two games. He's gotten four scores um, in two games. And he's rushed for 40, 44 yards in two games. And he's, you know, um, brought the Cardinals back in two games. First one, to, at least to tie it. And then the second one, at least to get it closer. Um, <clears throat> unfortunately... You know, what we were witnessing on defense after the first two drives was um, thoroughly unacceptable. And I'll talk about that later. But, <clears throat> you know, is Clayton Toon ready to start an NFL game? I don't know that. I mean, how can you say that? Could you say Bryce Young is ready to start an NFL game? I watched him. I didn't think he was. I was actually more impressed with, with uh, Clayton Toon than I was with Bryce Young watching this weekend. Now, will that stay the same? I don't, you know, I mean, Bryce Young has got uh, all kinds of gifts, um, you know, and he too deserves his, you know, learning curve. And, you know, he's he's been named starter. You know, this kid Aiden O'Donnell in Las Vegas, fourth round pick, which I think when the Raiders took him, the quarterbacks were flying off the board after that. You know, that's why the Cardinals had to jump in and grab Toon when they could. And they had the connection to Toon with uh, Israel Wolfert, the Cardinals uh, quarterback coach who was coaching at the senior bowl. So that was nifty. But I like this kid, Toon. I mean, he's he's balling. Um, yeah, he's going to probably make some mistakes. I mean, he hasn't thrown a bad interception yet. He threw one where Rondale Moore slipped. You know, he isn't – and some fans are already complaining he holds the ball too long. Look, okay. I mean, like I would say to Bob McMahon, what do you expect? I mean, everyone says, you know, in the NFL, it's learning how to slow the game down. And, you know, I give, give him more credit for holding on to the ball to try to make the best decision he can rather than playing hot potato, which we've seen all too often with Cardinals quarterbacks in recent years. I'm just getting the ball out, get the ball out, get the ball out. Um, 
no, this kid actually surveys the field. He looks downfield. He he keys on his reads, and it's a learning progress. You know, it's a work in progress, obviously, and will will be for quite some time. But to see him making more positive plays than negative at this point as a rookie, going up against you know one of the best defensive coordinators, you know, um, in the league in Spagnuolo. Um, you know, last week, who was throwing everything at him. I mean, I was just so impressed. And, you know, that was piquing my interest in that game. And, you know, um, so, you know, I think the plan for Colt, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, here's the other thing that bugged me about Colt was, and, uh, you know, there are things that bug me about Colt, like sitting with Kyler Murray while, while, while uh, you know, Buda Baker's being carted off on a gurney into an ambulance that I really have a hard time uh, understanding or even forgiving. Um, I just think that was one of the most egregious Cardinals moments um, I have ever seen. Um, however, give Colt credit later in that game, he was the one urging Kyler to go back in and obviously didn't convince him. So he went in and took the snaps and, yeah, it was basically a two hands off end of the game scenario, but still, you know, Colt was right. You don't do that. And that was really, you know, that whole scenario was was really rough to be, in addition. Um, but Colt handled that well, at least well on the end at, at the end of the game. Now Colt might have been commanded by a coach to take Kyler to the bench to get him set for the next series or something. Even if someone commanded him to do that, he should have said, no way, man, I'm going to be there for my brother. You're not stopping me. You know, that was just very unfortunate. So, but what I don't understand, and I've said this all along this year. So not only does Colt come back and he still can't practice because of the arm, which is another thing. Like why, why are we keeping him? All right, then come to find out he's doing, you know, XFL games as a color commentator and during OTAs and flying out on weekends. And you know the prep that has to go into that. He even said on the Dave Pash podcast, you know, it didn't please my wife. I mean, we saw in Hard Knocks, you know, the family dynamic he's got going pretty special there. I mean, that suggests, I mean, he's already got one foot out the door. He's transitioning already into Colt McCoy post-NFL. And when you have one foot out the door, you know, it doesn't work. I remember with, with Phil Dawson, his last year in Arizona, where he was clearly beat out by Matt McCrane in preseason. He was trying to split time between Texas and Arizona. Um, and trying to, you know, he had one foot out the door. And un unfortunately, the foot that mattered most for the Cardinals was erratic. You know, and here's a guy who was practically Hall of Fame worthy, worthy. But when you con when people contemplate retiring or they start taking it seriously and start looking ahead, typically you can expect um, a, a less amount of focus, more someone being more in a 
transitional stage mentally than being mentally in the moment. And, you know, it doesn't surprise me that in two preseason games, Colt, you know, despite what his head coach says, has not been good. I mean, he hasn't moved. The, the primary job of a quarterback is to move the football team. I mean, I think he's passed, gotten a team past the 50-yard line once, but it wasn't even beyond the 40. I mean, he's got no whiff of a, of a red zone. Across those two games, like you mentioned before, Colt McCoy has nine completions for 42 yards so far. At a 3.5, per right? 3.5 passing completion yardage. Uh, 4.5. 4.5. I mean, which for those down, keeping track at home, the league average is like eight. You're right. And Clayton Toons is 10.1. Okay. 168. I mean, 268 yards on, um, I think he's got 25 completions. Yes. 25 of 47. You know, so, you know, and you can't just say, Oh, well, Toons just doing this against Scrubs. No, 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 no. Toons come in in both games early against, you know, um, good defenses. And he's held up, you know, and he's persevered. And I was impressed with the Chiefs' depth on defense and offense. And I'm hoping that they're going to take a close look at that. <laughs> at their personnel for waiver wire purposes. You know, there are a couple players that, um, that I really liked, uh, you know, the, the kid from Colorado, the wide receiver, um, you know, uh, I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I'll look up his name in a minute. Um, he had some really good catches in the second half and, um, I also liked the, the young quarterback, um, you know, the the kid. Uh, Shane Michelle. No, no. The kid, I know the Cardinals, um, uh, I know they. Oh, the fourth they, stringer, um, Oladokun? Yes. You know, I know the Cardinals actually went and scouted him during his draft year a couple of years ago. He's from an un, you know, like a small school in Minnesota, I believe, um, but Division three or maybe Division two, but was uh, turning some heads in college. Really good athlete. I thought he looked superb um, against the Cardinals. Of course, it was late in the game, and and uh, he played know. at a Division two Samford University, and then transferred for his final year to South Dakota State. Oh, South Dakota State. Okay, yeah, and he he led them to the playoffs, if I recall correctly. Yeah, and then the year after he left, they won the championship of FCS. Oh, good stuff. Great job. Yep. Yeah, I like that kid. I would, you know, he fits our system too. I think Chris Oladokun. Um, he was four for five for sixty-three yards, twelve point six. Um, other than Mahomes had the highest rating, eight hundred eighteen point eight. Uh, yeah, but 
obviously he wasn't going to, I mean, the Cardinals by that time were demoralized and not playing much defense at all, but you still have to give him, give him credit. Emir Smith Marset is a kid. I'm pretty sure he's from, I remember watching tape of him on his draft year, a uh, kick returner speedster, like a four, three guy. Um, he had four catches for 92 yards, 23 average, and one TD. I liked him a lot. Um, you know, he could be a pickup. I don't know if he'll make the roster. He might. He has an outside chance. But, but yeah. Um, but, anyway, I think that with – the Cardinals are probably going to, you know, be apt to start Colt McCoy week one. But we still don't know what the plan is for Kyler. It'll be interesting to see if Kyler travels with the team to Minnesota. Oh, it would be Cardinals of old if he didn't. <laughs> you know, like DeAndre Hopkins didn't even travel with the team when he quit at the end of last year. Um, Kyler's done everything right to date, and hopefully he will continue to do right because him being there is valuable to him being a part of the team. Um, even though it's, you know, he could make a case for I'd rather just rehab at home. Um, there are team ramifications here that are important. We don't know what's happening with Kyler. We don't know how ready he feels, and we don't know what the plan will be for whether to keep him on the pup for four weeks to start the season. But here would be my plan. If um, if he's coming back, you know, saying like sometime over the first four weeks, I might be able to you know, start playing. And so I want to start practicing. To me, it makes absolutely no sense to have Kyler and Colt taking first team reps away from Clayton Toon. I mean, that makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, I think you go, you know, at that point, you trade there may be some takeaway signing bonus and everything he's got a reasonable salary there may be a couple teams out there you know he's well traveled and well liked i think you try to trade him if you can't trade him you gotta you know let him go um you know and i hate to say that because i really like the guy but but you have to be smart about you know i don't i can't trust that he'll hold up physically i mean he's still what taking days off for armrest i mean I mean, this is just, you know, for a new regime, you need a fresh start. You need, you know, it's, it, this would be a move for a team that's, you know, playoff worthy. If you're buy, buying time for your starter to come back, a guy like McCoy, you know. But for a team that's, you know, trying to find its way in, in a brand new era and a transition, it doesn't make sense. It really doesn't. And it doesn't make sense to guarantee a salary for one or two games either. So, but if Kyler, the decision is we're gonna, they're gonna keep Kyler on the pup for four weeks, then it's a harder decision because then you could could argue, okay, we could, you know, but we could start Colton if he's struggling. We could put in Clayton. But here's the other thing that that makes me curious is that I'm wondering if. If, um, you know, the, the Cardinals 
we get uh, as much out of David Blau, in fact, maybe even more than Cole. I mean, David Blau hasn't had any reps with first team or even second team yet. Um, yeah, we saw him last after joining uh, ten days after joining the Cardinals, a street free agent. Um, he's winning well, and he started off the 49ers game with a bang with that great special pass, AJ Green, until uh, Blau got concussed in that game, uh, which was tough. But um, I think you can get as much out of David Blau as you can out of Cole. And practically, I think you probably could get more games out of Blau than Cole. Um, so that could be a con consideration. But uh, and then you could, you know, you could go with Blau, you know, uh, Tune and, and Blau and then keep Driscoll on the practice or get this kid all a Duncan and keep him on the roster. Claim him. Oh, my gosh. Um, but anyway, I think that the only way it makes sense, perhaps, to keep cold is that, you know, you could keep him to, to uh, you know, start the first couple games. But, I, you know, it's just, it just doesn't feel right. I just don't get the vibe. When he talks now in press conferences, Cole, he, he looks tentative to me, and he talks – like, I think he knows if this is, you know, this is kind of, you know, precarious, a precarious foothold for him right now where he is. I mean, today, Jonathan Gannon was asked again about Colton being a starter. Gannon said, you know, basically that we're going to just make those starters decisions when we make them. And, but I think he's done a good job, you know, assimilating into the offense. You know, um, and understanding how it operates and stuff like that. That's the only way he's Gannon's terming it these days is like, you know, the operation is good because the results aren't. I mean, and this this is where with Gannon, I would have liked him to say when asked after the game about the offense. You know, we when we get the ball, we expect to move it and score, and obviously we didn't do that, so. All of us collectively have to do better. Just say that. Don't say, you know, the way he said it, too, was kind of like, matter of fact, oh, yeah, we missed a couple third downs, you know. But, you know, the running of the offense was pretty smooth. It was fine. I'm like, what the frick? Are you kidding me? I mean, come on, man. This is same old, same old bullshit Cardinals. Well, it's funny you said same old, same old, because uh, what you're describing gives me very similar vibes to the Sam Bradford, Josh Rosen situation from a couple of years ago, where it was oh, like, yeah. we're going to play Sam two and a half games and then right. we're going to turn it over to the rookie. And maybe the Cardinals don't have the same vested interest in Clayton Toon's long term success as they did it for Josh Rosen. But it still sounds very similar where it's like we're guaranteeing him this money, but we only expect him to start two or three games before the rookie takes over. Yeah. What a great analogy that was. You are clutch little rock. That was perfect. Yeah. The Bradford McCoy scenario. And I, I would say this, I've seen two games of Clayton tune and I watched his college tapes. He had a way more productive career at Houston 
albeit not playing in the Pac-10, but and but in two game preseason games, he's done more kind of special things with the football in my mind than Rosen ever did. Um, you know, his escapability one is just so exciting that he he has this this sense of when to you know he he hangs in to the last second then he's got little deke moves where he can get around you and then you know he's he can run it um he's much better athlete than people um, have expected and that's encouraging plus he's got the good arm and i think he's got a really good sense he throws between the hash marks really well i mean um again i've you know that's where you hope that's where we've been a little deficient in my opinion and boy oh boy i think he's got that down now he's got to you know straighten out some of his uh his sideline throws um the out passes and um fades and go routes and stuff but I, he's got that package and um you know so i'm pretty excited about tune I'd be excited if he started week one. I would be I would be in favor of it. I wouldn't expect him to be great. I you know, you have to temper I mean a rookie starting in his first game. I remember the Cardinals playing Russell Wilson in his first game and Russell Wilson struggled. Um you know, but the the Seahawks made a commitment to him and decided, you know what, he's a third rounder, but we're gonna start him anyway and we like him and we're gonna be patient and you know, I saw Wilson battle his butt off in that game coming up short, but you know, he, he made some mistakes and you got to be prepared for that. But in my mind, it's better to make mistakes with younger players. You're investing. You will have in the fold for four years, maybe more than it is for a guy who's going to be broadcasting games next year. Um, you know, and I, I wish Colt huge success with it. I think he'll be great at it. Um, and he said he loves it. So, you know, and when Colt loves something, he puts his mind to it and has a passion for it. You know, this guy knows a lot of football and um, has a whole bunch of connections. So I think he'll be great at it. Of course, J.J. Watt's now, you know, involved in that. And Colt could be next. So, um, yeah, that would be the plan. I mean, if Kyler is activated, he comes off puff. I mean, if they keep all, if they keep Kyler and Cole, that just seems just so wrong. Because um, then, you know, two would just be relegated to being uh, the the uh, scout team quarterback. Uh, you know, I think Clayton Toon should play some football this year, and I'd be fine if he started day one. But I'd also be fine if he gets in there if the other quarterback is struggling. I'd be fine. Whatever he gets this year, it would be nice to get his clock started and give him some experience because the talent is there. I mean, I'm amazed he lasted till the fifth round. I mean, I watched him play at Houston, and I thought he was dang good. Yeah, he makes a frustrating play by trying too hard occasionally. But, man, I mean, the dude threw for over 4,000, 5,000 yards last year and 40 touchdowns. I mean that's doing a playing a lot of good football. So yeah, and now with Isaiah, let's. I just posted on um, Twitter and at uh, an article I just 
just wrote on Revenge of the Birds about don't blame Isaiah for the touchdown pass from Mahomes to Watson. Um, because if you look at the play and I, I analyze it there, you can you can check it out. Um, it's clear that Isaiah was not assigned the deep right side of the field. He was assigned the deep left side of the field. And the Chiefs ran a mesh play inside with Kelsey and the wide receiver to the right. Um, and the linebackers were in a perfect position to switch it and cover. But the deep safety to the right side was Jalen Thompson. And Jalen Thompson saw that Kelsey might slip between the linebackers, so he went up to cover that and left the door wide open for the deep right and. The worst part of the play for the Cardinals was that, you know, and, and good news for Thompson was, you know, he took Kelsey out of the out of that play, which is really hard to do in itself. He jumped the route and kind of slowed Kelsey down. But at a sacrifice, because the worst thing that could have happened for Jalen in that scenario is for the defensive end, which in this case was Victor Demikije, um, trying to smit spin mood to the inside having not been able to get the gain the edge, leaving, you know, as I put it, I think, Patrick Mahomes in a meadow of grass, um, just flushed easily out to his right and having all day. And then, of course, the one zone guy in that area in the flat, because they didn't have a receiver in that flat, could have, the rule is if you're in the flat and no one's in your flat, you back up to the goal line and defend the goal line. But because Mahomes, you know, um, uh, drifted out to his right, it compromised the, the zone defender in that flat. He had to come up because no one else, you know, he had to come up to challenge Mahomes. The door was wide open and Isaiah ran as hard as he could to try to catch um, Justin Watson, who had, was the left wide receiver running a crossing route um, the whole time, and uh, which even one-on-one -on -one for a lot of people would have been hard to cover one-on-one. -on -one. But for Isaiah to catch up, see, Isaiah's man, the guy that he had to watch was the wide receiver coming on the mesh crosser um, and had to play that um, because you don't want, to, don't want him getting around the corner particularly once he gets past the linebacker and you have another guy in the flat, but you know, Isaiah's had deep half to that side of the field. So once Mahomes broke to the right, Isaiah went into catch up mode. And I'll tell you what, he, um, he nearly caught him. I mean, he, he, he hustled his butt. He deserves praise for that play. And it looks terrible. It looks like he just got flatly beat, but he was covering for somebody else and, and trying to catch up for somebody else. And so um, got to give, that's why he looked confused at the end of the play. Like people say, Isaiah looks confused. Well, he's confused as to why the door was so wide open on that side. That's what he's confused about and how it, that wasn't his assignment. Now, here's the thing about playing safety. Um, you know, my idol was Larry Wilson. I grew up so in love with Larry Wilson. I made it a vow that I was going to play free safety um, in high school. 
And, you know, um, finally I got my chance senior year and I played, started games at free safety. And I have to tell you, you know, having played it um, and having studied it and then having coached it on a high school level, it's one of the most difficult positions to play um, in all of football. Um, the reason is you're always being teased, you know, by teams like like the Chiefs did on that mesh play. Is if you have a cover two, which the Cardinals had, they had five under in the zone, they had two deep in Isaiah and Thompson. I mean, they they're sending Travis Kelsey all world on a crossing route, you know, crisscross with a wide receiver. And you worry that Kelsey's going to just break through loose and score a touchdown. So one of the safeties makes the commitment to come down and take Kelsey, which in retrospect is smart. But you that safety knows there's no one behind him. <laughs> so he sag- now he also felt justified because of doing that because the other crosser was the wide receiver to the right who's now going left. So, you know, you can understand why Jalen Thompson thought, well, let me take take Kelsey because he's going to be the first option into the right part of the the end zone, which he did. But, you know, the the door was open behind him on that deep cross across the field and aided and abetted by the fact that Mahomes could buy time and extend the play and be wide open and take his sweet time and then deliver a dime. Um, for untouched and un- unpressured. So, um, but uh, but you know, at 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 Clemson in his final year, Isaiah played 130 snaps at free safety out of 300 uh, out of 738. That's not a lot. You know, that's like one out of every seven snaps. Um, you know, so he hasn't played the position. I'm, here's what I'm trying to say. And he didn't play it at all for three years in Arizona. So to think he can come right in and be, you know, super, a superb NFL free safety, um, having not played it, you know, having played 130 snaps of it four years ago, and that's it, is naive. You can't, you can't expect that. Now. I tweeted out after the game, you can't coach effort. And there were some effort issues for Isaiah on different plays, like on the Rice play and on the Bichelle touchdown. Bichelle. Um, We saw that. And that's unfortunate. And that's got to stop. I mean, you know, what I said in my tweet was, you know, if you put that kind of effort on tape, no coach at any level would be, you know, well, any coach at any level would be turned off, put it that way. And, um, but I also think that this is a tremendous challenge for Jonathan Gannon and for Nick Rayless, um, and for the defensive coaches, uh, because you now, you know, you got to dig in with Isaiah. And here would be my plan for it. See, the thing is, is that about free safeties is that the way that I was coached, and it's, I think it's pretty universal, this is the way, is that so often free safeties get caught in what's called no man's land. And that's where you're, 
that's where the last place you want to be in a gray area, not covering no one. I mean, but teams will do everything they can to freeze you. And, to, you know, you got to be looking at the quarterback's eyes to see where he's going and mirroring that to a degree, but also sensing where the route trees are and what's in front of you and what's potentially going to get behind you. And you, the first rule of thumb is you always protect behind first and come up second. But then the rule of thumb is with playing free safety is that um, you, once you decide where to go, commit to it hundred percent. You can't, you don't have time to change your mind. Like, and I'll give Jalen Thompson credit of, for taking Kelsey. I mean, who, you know, not too many people can cover Kelsey. He decided, I'm just going to take Kelsey away and hope for the best. He committed to that 100%. Can't fault him. But you also can't fault Isaiah because there's no way he, it's humanly possible he could guard the other side of the field over the top and then play man-to-man -man chase coverage all the way on on um, on Watson. Just not humanly possible. The fact that he was as close as he was to the play is a testament to Isaiah's hustle and his wherewithal to, to know where the ball was going once Mahomes got flushed. I mean, otherwise it would just have been a wide open, all of us head scratching, wondering how in the world could that happen again? You know, like Vance Joseph's defense. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, at least Isaiah looked like, made it look like it was, you know, somewhat defend, decently defended, albeit not effectively. Uh, so, but here would be my plan is that in the beginning for each play call, I think that Jonathan, what Jonathan Gannon could do, and I think he could spearhead this himself and take charge of of just focusing on Isaiah's and Gannon played safety at Louisville. So Gannon has an innate knowledge of, of, of the safety position. He could have devise a system of hand signals um, for Isaiah or some sort of a communication method where he's going to tell Isaiah pre-snap exactly what to do. I think he's got to take the guessing work out of it for, for Isaiah in the beginning. Because, like, if my coach did this for me and said, you're, you're going to double on 87 um, on your side of the field. Uh, he's too good. We need, we need help over the top on 87. Take 87. Fantastic. I'm good. If my coach says, no, you're, we want you doubling the tight end. Um, you know, Make it look like you're 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 favoring deep, and then come up hard, and maybe you could pick it off. Um, things like that, or you know, on this play, we're we're blitzing you. Um, sneak up, and on the snap, let's go. It's game time. You know, um, <clears throat> and I I have complete confidence that on running plays instinct will just take over automatically and Isaiah Simmons will be a monster chaser. I think at the beginning of the game when the Cardinals um, got Mahomes and the Chiefs offense off the field twice, which is awesome. 
I think the Chiefs were actually pretty nervous about playing the Cardinals after what they saw on tape against the Broncos of the first team defense. <clears throat> and I think that the first pass, which was dropped by by Watson of all people, and then where he was met Isaiah coming from free safety and Kaiser White um, coming hard from linebacker. You know, I think he dropped that pass because I think that Isaiah is a is a menacing figure back there. So is Buddha when he plays it for anyone who catches a slant um, or, you know, a skinny post like that. You know, you can expect ba-boom. And I think he was here in footsteps. Even Kelsey dropped a pass early on on a little shovel pass, taking his eyes off quickly because I don't think he was – I think he was worried about getting undercut right away. Um I think they were a little nervous about the Cardinals' defense. And, you know, Kaiser White gave that good pop over the middle. They were making some statements. Collier was active. The Edges had a rough night. Um, you know, Collins. I saw Edwards Hilaire take out Collins on a double-team block once, just knock him on his ass. I was surprised at that. But I think Collins may not have seen it coming. Um Collins was getting double fair share of double team in that game. Unfortunately, Gardeck wasn't getting the edge like he was the week before, and then he suffered a knee, some type of knee injury. And interestingly, the first guy in was uh, Lucetta. Lucetta graded well in the game. Lucetta's active and makes tackles. He's not a premier pass rusher by any me measure. And also, he made the same mistake that McKeejay made later in the game trying to do an inside spin move and suddenly that's on that happened I think twice and once on the Bashelli touchdown scamper although it looked like um Lucetta was being held um on that spin move and there could have been a flag there um but still with no contain you know you can't and the Chiefs like their quarterbacks mobile you can't afford to, you know if you're going to do an inside spin it should be with a tackle exchange going wide you know it should be a tech stunt but on your own leaving the you know abandoning contain is not a good good rule tired of it with vance sure hope it's part of the gannon package um to contain was happening in the first first game much more. I mean, the first play of the game, Zayvon Collins contained beautifully, set the edge enough to where Josh Woods came firing through the gap and made the tackle on Hilaire, Edward Hilaire. Um, you know, so that was really encouraging. I mean, Zayvon looks that part of the strong outside linebacker who set that edge and turned plays in. That's what you need. You need three, which he did on that play. Um, and, and keep, hold your ground and turn the play inside to where your help is. Um, so, you know, it's interesting that the Cardinals really need Thomas to come back. They need my J. Sanders to come back. We need a variety of edge rushers. And, you know, at times I'd like to see, you know, um, to mix it up and put some of those guys inside like Thomas, you know, you need help rushing from the interior too. 
Um, and my Jay, I think my Jay and Gardeck, when he was uh, having his hot year, he he got a couple sacks from the inside, um, just out quick in guards and getting sneaking through gaps, you know. So, but here's the here's what concerns me about Jonathan Gannon. He's, I thought he was a tough guy. And, you know, I thought there'd be, you know, I'm looking at his sideline demeanor. You know, he's like Cliff. Nothing. I mean, just sort of like he's a spectator in the game. Don't see a lot of passion. Um, these press conferences, he's just laid back. I mean, I thought from his opening presser, this guy was going to be, you know, a voice and a presence. And, you know, I mean, it's just snooze with him. I mean, he's delegated all the play calling to all his other coaches. So what is he doing there? He's just, you know, whispering stuff to Jeff Rogers. Um, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, I mean, for example, how could he sit there and watch his defense get just absolutely annihilated the way it was in the second half? Why didn't he call timeout and rip him, you know, in a timeout and make it clear, this is not how we play. He just stood back and let it all be. He didn't do squat. Team offense was, you know, three and out or, you know, missing third downs. How about getting them over to the bench and ripping them? Saying this is two games in a row now. How about that? How about showing some fire? I mean, wasn't this what he was hired for? What not he supposed to be, a, you know, emotional leader? I mean, and then, you know, it's just when he talks these days, like saying everything's fine. He just seems soft. I mean, it's just a poor message. Like, you know, oh yeah, we'll have to clean this up and, you know. He doesn't look pissed. I mean, that was embarrassing. Did you see when they panned over to Monty Ossenfort and Michael Bidwell? Ossenfort looked like you could fry a, a an egg on his forehead. He was hot. He was staring down at the field like, you know, like he was so pissed. This was and in the middle bit, of a stretch where uh, Kansas City completed 24 of 26 passes. Right. And Biddle's looking like, you know, forlorn and, oh, my gosh, here we go again. Um, You know, we're all too familiar with that look on Biddle's face. I mean... You know, playing at home has to, and it was fun the first week. But, you know, I mean, it just was a rollover, awful effort. I mean, if your defense getting run over, then go into a gap nine and send everybody. Do something. I mean, the first game, at least it was fun. They were sending blitzes and stuff and mixing things up. This game is just like so vanilla, disgustingly vanilla with no tackling and shoddy coverage and, you know, half-assed efforts like the couple that uh, 
that Isaiah Simmons threw out there, you know, you wouldn't ex expect it from him. But um, Arizona Cardinals fan underscore underscore on Revenge of the Birds said a really smart thing, and I to totally agree with him. Isaiah has a habit of going into a shell if he makes a mistake. I mean, that uh, roughing uh, penalty, unnecessary roughness penalty, was really a bang-bang play that I don't think you could really fault him for, especially seeing as Isaiah on contact turns his shoulder to, you know, backside of his shoulder. He wasn't leaning with the head. He wasn't spearing. It just was unfortunate that, you know, Scantling was slipping just as um, Isaiah was launching. Otherwise, it would have been, you know, he would have just, you know, um, finished that tackle fine. I mean, it would have, you know, it would have been perfect. Um, it was good technique. You know, and, and then, so that started Isaiah feeling, you know, kind of picked on. Then the TD that wasn't his fault, um, you know, made it look like it was his fault. You know, there were things happening. I'm not saying this is an excuse. In fact, I'm saying this is something he really needs to correct. Is Isaiah's is kind of like Kyler. He'll start sulking when things aren't going right. So he's got to flip that switch, learn how to flip that switch in a hurry. That's why he needs a coach right now with him every play, um, helping him get through this transition of learning this new position. Um that's what he needs. And, you know, some people are saying trade him now. And I'm like, let's wait. I mean, he's, there's no one on the roster that has um, the ability that, you know, who's got more upside of free safety than Isaiah Simmons. And you'd be doing other teams a favor because they were not looking forward to him playing that middle. I can tell you that right now. The Chiefs were. And for a while there, it looked like they were right. Until, you know, I think Isaiah got kind of in the doldrums and, you know, got frustrated. But there are ways. Give him the right matchups. Don't overwhelm him. Give him the right keys. Tell him, you know, each pre-snap, this is where we want you. This is who you want. we want you to cover, to key on. You know, I think that you'll see some get some pretty good dividends from this. It'd be awesome. Plus blitz him because he can be a heck of a blitzer. Um, we saw that last year, um, but particularly in Dallas, a big win with that great sack he had there on Dak. So, um, but Gannon made a good point about technique being the problem for the penalties. That was astute. He's right about that. But, you know, a lot of the guys who were getting those penalties, I mean, some were rookies. And I just asking myself, why then did we take a week off when we could have had the rookies in the building teaching technique for a week? Um, and I'm not going to let that go. That's part of the soft part again that I don't get. Um, you know, I, I don't get it. Also, they're talking like, you know, we're not going to kill ourselves like other coaches. We're going home and we have other lives and stuff like that, like the anti-cliff. Um, you're the youngest coaching staff in the NFL, and a lot is on you 
giving the impression that, you know, there are other things to do in life right now, which there are, but that's not something you talk openly about in public. I mean, and say like, I'm just going to go home when normal people do. I mean, when you ask your players to be the first one in the building and the last one out, it should apply to you. Um, you know, I mean, Nick Rayless has already said, that, you know, he's got other things to do and sometimes he's on his own schedule. And, um, you know, there's, there's too much, too much here that, you know, and plus you compound that with the dubious way in which, which, uh, Gannon was hired. You know, he accepted that phone call. Um, I don't know. I can't say I have any iota of trust in the guy yet. And I hope that changes. But it wouldn't, if Michael Bidwell has to sit through a season like what he sat through, you know, this past Saturday night, he's going to make it. He can't stand it. <laughs> you know, I mean, he had to sit through some rough games with BA at the end, and they still were 500. And he let B.A. go. And, uh, you know, people said he retired. Yeah, okay. Bidwell is like, his favorite part of his job is hiring. So if he's got any excuse to hire, he's going to do it. You know, we know that in the past. One and done? Absolutely. You know, particularly, let's, let's say we're just, got awful the whole season and um you know and then caleb williams or drake may is the first pick i think you've got a kingsbury scenario all over again with murray is that don't you have to get an offensive you could actually keep the young coaching staff together and hire an offensive guy who somehow fits in with that group to be the overseer and, and quarterback guru for the new quarterback, if that happens, you know, but, you know, I hope, I hope Gannon settles into the job and starts acting like a head coach. I mean, he's done some really good things. I love the Cardinals gear for everything. Um, kind of noticed that Colt wasn't in it in his interview with Dave Pash. That kind of bothered me. He's in his t-shirts. Um, you know, not to say that Colt isn't invested. He, I think he's doing probably about as well right now as he can emotionally because I think deep down inside he knows at any moment this could be gone and that his career could be over. Um, and I don't know if the Cardinals released him whether he'd want to play anywhere else either. So, but I, it's just... I almost think on his family, and since he seems so keen on his broadcasting career, let it start now. You know, let let him focus on that. Um, he's earned a lot of money over his career. He's going to earn more as a broadcaster. You know, um, but it's just so curious that the Cardinals did that. And then the other thing that irks me is the DJ Humphrey situation. I mean, this is the thing about Gannon, too, is look at who he's hitching his wagon to. DJ Humphreys, Kyler Murray, 
Um, now Kaiser White looks like the real deal. So I'm really, you know, the one really key addition that he's made Kaiser White. I really like that. And of course, Buddha hasn't been around enough for Gannon and Buddha to be joined at the hip yet. And hopefully that'll change. But, you know, and calling DJ Humphrey like a paragon of integrity, like football integrity um, from the get-go. Where did that come from? I mean, that had to be coached into Gannon from probably Bidwell or Jeff Rogers for some reason who thinks the world of, of Humphreys. But, you know, I've, I've had issues with Humphreys. A, his durability. B, it's Yoni comes first for him. As athletes are entitled to do. But he was part of the problem last year. Didn't attend OTAs, sat out of training camp when he's already making 15 points something a year on his last contract, which I don't think he lived up to. He had one really good year. The other ones, meh. I mean, okay, but not great. Not at that price. I mean, you know, and the fact that They've been hiding Josh Jones until finally this week they put Josh Jones in instead of Beecham at left tackle, which hurt both Colt and Clayton in the first game because Beach was getting routinely outquicked on the edge. And the, there was a guy in the backfield immediately, which, you know, for Gannon to say, you know, we're playing these games to win and then you're not playing your best players at positions. It's just mind boggling to me. Um, and as if you're just trying to, you know, why is DJ one of the, you know, um, get guys getting star treatment? I mean, why isn't he playing more? I mean, you're already coddling him. You're coddling um, Colt. Um, you know, this is same old, same old. You know, who knows what's going to happen with Kyler now? If you're Kyler looking on right now, how enthused are you about coming back? What would you think about that, Kyle? If you're Kyler right now, you saw what we did Saturday. You know, when there was the buzz about Kyler wanting out of Arizona, the, the, the premise was he wanted a team with a an excellent group of wide receivers and a great defense. Well, you know, I know, I know Kyle the defense is. This, hmm. I was going to say, I, I, I feel like the defense situation is obviously problematic for the Cardinals because they got absolutely dismantled by the motion of Kansas city and, Obviously, yep. they, they they did get pressure on Mahomes. It was, it was more so once the second teamers came in, they really couldn't get any pressure on Kansas City. And like we said, they completed right. 24 out of 26 passes back to back. But they, they were getting some pressure on Mahomes, I will say. They, they forced that punt where Mahomes kind of like ran out of bounds and tried to like right. kind of chuck it and keep it alive. But yeah, no, defensively, they've got a lot of holes. We've talked about the cornerback position and the edge rusher position before. From Kyler's standpoint, I mean, health permitting, I would want to get back on the field just for the 
case that you talked about earlier that there is a chance Kyler is playing for his spot on the team next season, but I don't know how many players or even coaches you could say for sure are guaranteed to be around going into next season. I mean, we would suspect DJ Humphreys is still going to be there. We suspect that Kyler Murray is still going to be there. I mean, I know there's the possibility they get the number one pick and then we can have that conversation, but that we suspect more likely than not Kyler Murray will be back next season. So I guess I could understand that in terms of Gannon hitching his wagon to those guys. But I mean, those are this point holdovers, right? I mean, they you, you've been advocating for Josh Jones coming in and starting at left tackle for almost two years now. Uh, obviously, right. Paris Johnson's going to be the right tackle once the season starts. Right. So, yep. I mean, you've been advocating for even these legacy players who are making a lot of money to not necessarily have the security that they may be promised. Right. Yeah. I mean, Josh Jones came in. Guess who had the highest tackle grade again this week? It's Josh Jones. Um, He's playing at a high level. And it just galls me to hear Dave Pash and Ron Wolfie describe Josh Jones as a roster bubble guy. I mean, what the frick? I mean, what are you paying attention to? I mean, this kid has balled his butt off, but he's not this popular, goofy guy in the in the, in the locker room. And that's been the problem with Cardinals, too, is that's the kind of guys they elect as captain. It's like goofy guys. I mean, captain's just a joke contest on the Cardinals. It was such a joke three years ago when Buda Baker didn't even make captain. When he was clearly, clearly the most worthy captain on the defense by then. Clearly. Uh, playing at a high level and bringing it every play. Leading tackler on the team, you know, sticking his nose into everything. And, you know, and then people would say, well, he's not that talkative. Third captains, you know aren't talkative, they lead the way by example. And they're deserving because of what they represent. The Cardinals have always gotten that wrong. I mean, they just, if the guy's liked in the locker room, he's a captain, like Patrick Peterson. In your mind at this point, do you view the Cardinals as, uh, I guess on the offensive side of the ball, essentially having four quality tackles? Yes. So... Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Being Paris Johnson, DJ Humphreys, Kelvin Beecham, and Josh Jones. Right. right? If so, DJ's yeah. healthy, he's had a back injury and they're coddling him now. And I don't have confidence he'll last the season, but yes. So, in, in a world where they have four quality tackles, and, you know, obviously Paris Johnson's the highly drafted first round pick you would think that there would be more continuity in terms of saying this is a position of strength we know what we have going into the season and this is what we should do and it sounds like even at a rare position of strength for the cardinals there hasn't been that feeling of clarity or like yes we have this position locked down we have invested in the position and we have it locked down it feels like it hasn't been there well because they've willfully put the wrong guys competing with the wrong guys. It should be Beecham and Johnson at right tackle, where Beecham's been the last three years. 
not Beecham at left tackle and Jones at right tackle. It should have been all along the most hotly contested, one of the most hotly contested competitions. If you're going to say this as a head coach, all positions are open to competition. And the left tackle, best left tackle last year was Josh Jones. He had the highest PFF grade on the entire offense. And he doesn't get to, to even challenge DJ Humphreys and is talked of as a roster bubble guy by the local media. I mean, it's just, and here's another third round draft pick. They're just going to piss away. I mean, constant, constant, constant third round draft picks. Just piss them away. Like Mason Cole. It's just, just sickening to me. It's such a waste of time and talent. It's like, here's what they always do. Put a, put a veteran on his last year of a contract in front of a third rounder who sits on the bench. In a and club. I remember from that draft class, Josh Jones was getting first round grades. It was a pretty deep tackle class, but the, there were people who had yeah. him getting picked to the Dolphins at like pick 18 in the yes. draft that year. It was an utter steal. It was an utter steal. And the, now the kid's proven it and yet talked of as a bubble player because, oh, DJ Humphreys, you know, was like ushering in the new uniforms, even though he missed nine games last year. I mean, DJ Humphreys' percent of games played in the NFL per years is what, at 60%? He's missed a ton of games. And I just don't get where the he's got all this football integrity comes from. That Jonathan Gannon would have known that from day one, or even said that. That was bizarre to me. Um, you know, like I said, I mean, this guy held out last year. You know, it's it's interesting because you want to talk about tackles. The one guy who was a who didn't go to OTAs, but lasted the whole and you know. The, all the Cardinals offensive linemen who boycotted OTAs, Kyler Murray, the two wide receivers who boycotted at OTAs, the only one to play all 17 games was Kelvin Beachin. Kyler was out. Marquise Brown was out. I mean, Marquise Brown seems like all he's interested in is playing with Kyler. Like, he's a ghost. You know, I mean, he catches one pass on an out pass for 11 yards. It's like a big whoop to do. You know, Marquise Brown is like, so Kyler, you know, and he's even like said Kyler's coming back, like going to, you know, be like a Adrian Peterson epic comeback. And, you know, we have no signs of that yet, but, you know, we'll see. But we don't know what's going on with him. Zach Pascal, a ghost. I mean. I, you know, was signed in the offseason. was supposed to be this, you know. Um, it's just really weird kind of the stuff that's going on there. And um, But getting back to the tackle situation, I mean, there are teams like the Jets who need a tackle. They had Beecham before. He might fit the bill there. Um, if, if, you know, if push comes to shove. I think DJ would be a really good fit for them at left tackle if they wanted to trade for him. And then, or Josh Jones, if you're just going to just mess with Josh Jones and try to ruin him like you did with Andy Isabella and others, just trade him while you can 
just get him out of town. You know, um, good to report that Isabella is doing really well up in Buffalo. He leads their receivers in the preseason. Four catches, sixty-one yards, thirteen point or fifteen fifteen point three <coughs> yards a catch. Um, highest second highest PFF grade on their team at eighty-seven point seven. Um, you know. To answer your question from earlier, too, since entering the league, DJ Humphreys has played in 73% of all potential games. That's surprising to me because it doesn't feel like it. Are you? Because he had 16 games in 2019, 16 games in 2020, and then 16 out of 17 in his Pro Bowl season of 2021. So yeah, that's you, knocking the values up a little bit. But did yes. Did you count his rookie year? In 2016? Or yeah, 2015. yeah. Oh, 2015. Wait, did he did he miss the whole season in 2015? He was called knee deep. Bruce Arians wanted nothing to do with him. Ah, well, let me uh, let me add that in real quick because I forgot he did, if he didn't register a game in 2015, that Correct. would change the yes. uh, that would change the math a little bit. So let's and see. That would be seven, 18 games. That would be so if we, we had add two that playoff in. games. I uh, rounded up, it would be 64%. Okay, there we go. That's what 64%. I'm talking about. 64%. Right, that's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, he's been a little, little better as of late. Uh, but last year, but again, you know, missing, missing OTAs, you know, and then, you know, getting hurt was happened to virtually every guy except Beecham. And, you know, DJ, who was a captain the year before, you'd expect more. You'd, especially coming off such a bitter loss to a division rival and getting our asses handed to us in a playoff. You'd expect more. You'd expect captains to go, no, no, no. We're coming back with a vengeance. We're getting after this. Instead, it was all about my bag, your bag. We're all holding out for our bags. We don't have to go to OTAs. It's optional. You know, heck with the fact that everybody else is doing it in our division and we're not, but who cares? You know, um, but, you know, the Cardinals fell apart. That was one of the main reasons how the offensive dictate off season dictated that. And there are consequences for not showing up and, you know, so take it as you will. I mean, I know some people are like Teflon and doesn't care, doesn't matter. To me, it matters. I mean, showing up and doing your job and, and you know, putting the team first. I mean, this is why it was ambitious of Gannon to say from the start how it's going to be team first and then it's how it's it's going to be, you know, like don't get it twisted, we're going to win. All right. And then everything's going to be aligned and then saying there's competition at every position. All right. I'm trying to hold him to the standards that he says he's holding himself and his, his, his staff to. And right now I got question marks pretty much up and down the board. Um, you know, let's, let's see if he can, you know, make some changes here. Like, I don't think, you know, and then the huge word from him, which I thought was great to hear when he was uh, preaching, 
was uh, accountability. Now the players have said he's hold us much more accountable for, you know, he can't eat in meetings or answer cell phones and stuff like that, which is appalling to me that it ever happened in the first place, but we saw it on camera last year. Um, and he's, 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 you know, been a stickler to that. You have to wear Cardinals gear. Love that. He's made really good strides on, on, on some, some of that. But when your offense doesn't, first team offense in two games doesn't even threaten the red zone. And you're asked about it and you say, yeah, look good to me. I mean, yeah, we missed a couple third downs. I mean, no big deal. Yeah, but look good to me. It looked like, I'm sorry, that's not accountability as a head coach. That is a contradiction right there. And someone will make the excuse, well, he doesn't want to throw Petsing onto them. No, no, no. You're the head coach. You're the head offensive coach and defensive coach and special teams guy. You're the guy who has the answer to this. So you have to take ownership of it, and you have to take account, be accountable. And if he just said, you know, we have higher standards than that, it was disappointing. We got to play better. We got to convert on third down. We got to move the ball. We got to score. You're playing the Chiefs. You got to outscore them. We didn't do that. That's what you got to say. Enough of this pussyfooting around, <clears throat> tipping around the truth. I thought that's what, you know, we got fed up with, with Kingsbury. You know, just saw, falling on the sword for everyone. And, you know, how about let's get a coach who will speak the truth to us and will do where the words and the music match. Where the, when the words are accountability, we see it from the coach. You know? Oh, fire it up. I want these standards. I think they're great, lofty standards that can change the culture in Arizona. But the way that Cannon's going about it is suspect to me because it doesn't sound like he's holding himself, um, let alone, you know, some of the stuff that... I mean, if I was a defensive coach and I had to sit through that second half, oh, boy. I mean... The defensive coaches I played for would have been out of their minds, out of their minds. And yet, you know, at the after the game press conference, Gannon was cool as a cucumber. Seemed unfazed. Seemed like, you know, after saying we're going to play these games to win. I mean, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to play the games to win, you're going to get emotional about it because it takes the emotion to win. So, um, I'm hoping that things get on the right track. And so far, I mean, the first game was fun, and a lot of a lot of positives. Hopefully, in Minnesota, they can get a bit of a bit of the moxie and buzz back. We'll see. It's a huge week. Go up there and practice. I hope it's not these slugfest, you know, out of control. You know, so so called controlled practices. I hope they get a lot out of being up in Minnesota and um, working out with with the Vikings. You know, it would be good. It would be good for Isaiah Simmons to get tested by those receivers. Um, you know, I'd start it right there with him. On this play, you're doubling Jefferson over the top. On this next play, you're gonna, you know, we're gonna have you come down and play the tight end. Who's the 
they took the kid from the Lions, right? Hawkinson. Is Hawkinson still on the on the, on the Vikings? Vikings? Yeah, yeah, he's still there. Yeah, on this play, you're going to take Hawkinson over the top, you know. Um, you know, mix it up with him, and so take the guessing work out for him and see what happens because I think that you're going to see a huge improvement if you do. And, and uh, not giving up on Isaiah, not giving up on him. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think you're going to get much in return for him anyway. And he's the most gifted physically of all the safeties at center field, without a doubt. I mean, um, so, and that's what we've been lacking. We need a, a guy who can come up and stick like Buddha. Um, and I think Isaiah can do that. Um, he's got it in him. So, yeah. Um, Hope we have a good week and, you know, an early game on Saturday. Uh, hope to chime in afterwards. I might have time to do that, actually. These late games for me on the East Coast are tough. Um, I did it was able to get in a few tweets. Um, one of my main things, and I'll leave you guys with this, is here's another plan, is that I don't see how with the Cardinals personnel at defensive tackle on the interior nose tackle and defensive tackle, how they can sustain in four-man lines. Um, plus contain. Uh, I think that the solution for this year is to play a five-man line so that you've got, you know, like play a 52 monster so that you've got edge guys who are instructed to contain. And now you're defending the interior with three instead of two. So you're, you're dropping the added lineman in there. Um, Cause that's going to be critical. Cause we just don't have this, you know, it's another thing if you're the Eagles and you have Fletcher, you know, and, and Davis in the middle, um, you know, or Javon Hargrave as they did last year, that's a different story. And you've flanked by, you know, pro bowl edges. Um, that's a different story on a four-man line. For the Cardinals, and I tweeted this, I don't see any way they're going to be able to win games if they're going to get after games with running a steady diet of four-man lines. Um, you know, it's going to be really rough for them to, personnel-wise, to hang with that. So someone said, maybe we're just showing vanilla in the preseason. I hope that person's right. Um very much so, I hope that person's right. Uh, but if you're getting your ass kicked in vanilla, you ought to start doing something. And maybe this wakes up the whole... You're saying you're playing these preseason games to win, so it can't be both ways. But, you know, I mean... I mean, I, I put it this way, was that, you know, there is no way the Cardinal defense can be competitive in a four-man line, not with the defensive tackles on this roster. Plus, if cards play five-man lines, then finally they might contain for the first time in years. Tonight, there was no contain on Mahomes and Buscelli. No contain equals no chance. I keep saying this every year, and I'm just praying you know, that it changes because it, it's true. If you can't contain, I mean, I mean, letting Mahomes out of the pocket to his right 
is just asking to get whooped. You have to, if you're going to go in and play Mahomes, your only chance is to pen him into the pocket, get your hands up, play your lanes, don't let him escape, and really make it difficult on him. Pester the receivers, double the key guys like Kelsey, you know. But if he can just have gain quick access away and, and drift and flee the pocket the way he did, was able to. Same with Bichelli. It was embarrassing. I mean, you know, and then letting Bichelli score from like 18 yards out and just not even trying to tackle him at the goal line. I mean, Isaiah. Oh my gosh, Isaiah. By that time, he was so demoralized. But he's got a he's he's got to smell the coffee, Isaiah. He can't put something like that on tape ever again. If he does, I mean, I don't know what team would want him. So he gets this is the last mulligan for me. You know, if I see this again from him, forget it. Um, do whatever you can with him. Get him off the team because this is totally unacceptable. It's the same thing that really worries me about uh, the young kid Christian Matthew. Just seems to have have gone to the Pat P school of tackling. Um. Just no, not much interest in it at all. And he's a six-two kid, about two two hundred. Should be able to stick his nose in there and do his job. But I can't. If you don't tackle, you don't have a chance. And right this week in my roster predictions, I left him out. I you can't do that. You can't play soft in this league. You got to make statements. And uh, you know he's got to. He's got to step up and show that he's willing, able, and willing to do that. I mean, and uh, as that's where we really need help at the corner. Um, you know, I could see the Cardinals claiming two corners to add to our group or making a trade that involves a corner because this corner group is, you know, now that uh, Marco Wilson got hurt, also, I, they haven't disclosed yet what what his injury was. But, uh, you know, we're going to need help on these at these corner spots. And, um, you know, hopefully Catro Clark will rebound. He strikes me as a kid who's – he's so into it. He will – you know, he got beat on the inside move, the inside out move. That happens. He jumped that route too far. <laughs> you can leverage that. And still be able to recover. He just overcommitted to jumping the route and then got beat easily to the outside. But it only cost seven yards. I mean, he was still able to recover and push him out of bounds. But that's no big deal. That was at least him playing aggressive, which you want. But the Cardinals do have leverage issues. I'll talk about that in another podcast. They've really got to, I don't know, I've started to do it on Twitter with showing plays. From, pract from practices where Cardinals should have leveraged better. I, that's something Isaiah really needs to hone on and learn. And once you get it, it's pretty pretty cool. So, you know, basically leverage is take, you know, making sure you're in a position to defend um, as the player's running his route so that you're in a, a position to jump the passing lane. 
and and be there. Um, and if it worse, the player catches the ball, tackle him immediately. Um, but leverage is keeping, you know, to the side of the, which way the the uh, receiver wants to go, like step for step. So, um, thanks for all the support last week. We had a huge turnout last week. Hopefully, this was um, you found this podcast equally. Um, satisfying uh, a lot of ranting today because it's a tough weekend uh hope you can understand that and uh you know thanks to my um producer and co-host kyle i don't know if you saw anything you were with your brother this weekend in reno right um we went over to tahoe and uh made the the trip around nevada a little bit but uh because of the hurricane we had to cut it short oh Dang, that's right. So, did you see any of the Cardinals game? I got the highlights afterwards. I didn't get a chance yeah. to watch it live, but I got the um the the YouTube highlights where it shows every playback, kind of like a condensed version. They they make the the condensed highlights. So, I watched oh, the first half, started diving into the third, kind of quit around like five minutes into the third quarter. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I've seen pretty much all I need to see at this point about the game, but. Uh, and Kansas City's offense is remarkable, even with people who are I, I, I've joked for years that like I never know when it's Kelsey and when it's one of the generic guys that look like Kelsey anymore for Kansas City, whether it's right. Watson or Blake Bell or someone right. else, because all the tight ends look the same and run the same for Kansas City. So, right. I mean, even even when it was Gabbert and uh, between Edwards, Alaire and McKinnon and the the backup tight ends. I mean, it still looked like the right. Kansas City offense with motion and being able to get guys open in the flat. They ran a bunch of screen plays, which I wasn't prepared for against Arizona. Some defended better than others, but yeah, no, it was an interesting game altogether. And you know, Kansas City's the Super Bowl champions for a reason. They run a really unique offense. Well, our first team defense got Mahomes off the field twice in a row to start the game. That was the now he had some help. They had some help with some penalties and some drops. But I think as physical as the Cardinals came out, those drops were hearing footsteps a little bit. And uh, like I said, I think the Chiefs had seen the tape from the week before and were, um, you know, a little nervous about the Cardinals coming out. But then once Mahomes started working his thing and getting around and scrambling around, uh, it just snowballed. And it was good for you to just rip off the Band-Aid in the middle of the third quarter. For those of us who, who, who absorbed it all, we got to rant. Uh, I yeah, did. I understand. I, I mean, rant. there was still stuff to rant about. I mean, after the backups went in the game, they just stopped pressuring altogether. I mean, they, they were trying yeah, to rush with was, four, and they, right. it didn't work. I was surprised. It, and you only got through halfway of the third quarter. It was just disgusting. It was just like quitting. Um, and, you know, that's why Michael Bidwell, I mean, I mean, the look on his face, I mean, it's one thing to lose to a talented team. It's another thing to just roll over and just let their subs dominate you. And that's what happened. It was disgusting. And the one guy who's fought against that more than anyone else, Clayton Toon, and then... Blau tried to do it at the end, but by then, you know, um, 
it was too little, too late. But you know, but Clayton Tune, if it weren't for him, I don't know what kind of a reaction we'd get. But yeah, and on Clayton the offensive side of the ball, the the one thing that I will say is I thought Rondale Moore, even though he only had two catches for seven yards and one run on the end around, I thought Rondale Moore played better than the stats showed. Like I bet. Yeah. Uh, I thought I would I walked away feeling like yeah he's proven that he's gonna have some sort of impact on the team this year uh if he can play yeah that's know. the only question is is will he's he the make DJ it out on the field of wide receivers um and you know um I mean think of what you just said being impressed with two catches for six yards and and a one yard jet sweep um mm -hmm. when actually that was a shit call um, <laughs> um which i maybe that's what it, it was i was impressed that he made it back to the line of scrimmage despite right. the fact kansas city had that play dialed up and ready for right it. actually i think he got about four or five yards but it was called back um for a illegal crackback block or something um or yeah some sort of holding but it's second and one. Your first string offense hasn't moved the ball. Give it to James Conner and move the chains for crying out. That was so Cliff-esque. You know? I mean, Or if it's yard. second and one, you could think of something a little more spicy, like work the middle of the field knowing you're going right. to have a third and one play. Just right. end around run has potential for right. disaster. Exactly. That's a play that's you can turn the ball over easily too um with that little flip pass um actually it's forward pass so if he drops it it's incomplete but if he catches it and then gets poked out by a lineman oh gosh but yeah just, like uh, you said not a whole lot to take away from it it just uh well, and again be true to who you are you said we're supposed to be a physical running team now it's second and one. Like you said, do a play action, take a deep shot. Why not? And then come back and run Connor off tackle. Or run well, a mesh pattern or, or get someone right. moving down the sideline or just do something else. Right. right. Yep. Um, but if you notice the PFF grades, the highest guys on offense are all offensive linemen. I mean, they're, they're grading really well. Um, which is exciting. I mean, you know, a lot of them are grading really well. Uh, so, you know, let me just quickly go over there. Here, watch this. So we'll get there. Premium stats. Let's go to offense. Okay, after two games. Will Hernandez, 93.2. He is balling big time. So he leads the squad. Hayden Howerton, who's heard of him? I have. The Patriots had him for a while. 90.8. He's had 29 snaps. Hernandez has had 30 snaps in the preseason. Schalte Froholt, the center, in 30 snaps, 87.4. With an 89.6 run blocking grade. Howerton, 90.7 run blocking grade. Hernandez, 92.2 run. We've never seen, and then 
you know, Pat Elfline had a 90.1 run blocking grade. He's he's fifth on the team. Fourth is Tyson Williams, 87.2, who didn't play this week. We've got to get him back. Elfline, who's hurt, I guess, 75.6, 76.5. Josh Jones, the leading tackler, I mean tackle grade, 74.0. And he was 75.3 in nine starts last year. So it's right where he, picking up right where he left off. His pass blocking grade, thank you to McCoy and Clayton Toon, 88.5. Run blocking, 64.1. Now, he had the highest run blocking grade on the team last year, too, Josh Jones. Put him in there for crying out loud. James Conner, 72.3 in one game. A guard, Latavius Simmons, 71.5 on 10 snaps. Then Colt McCoy, 68.7. Jackson Barton, the right tackle, who's played well, 80.5 pass blocking grade. Jackson Barton, keep an eye on him or and keep an ear out for him because uh, uh, he's. I know the coaches really like him. Uh, how about Badara Treor? 67.5. I mean, this is a smorgasbord of, you know, and then Arius Brown and more wide receivers in the 60s. <clears throat> Keontae Ingram, how about a good game from him coming back, 63.1. But above him are two guards, Wilkerson, 65.2. Daly, 63.4. Those two guys are battling it out for left guard. Although I'd love to see, uh, you know, Hazy get a piece of that action. Um, he had the penalty, um, Hayes. But uh, I also would love to see Gaines be tried at guard, too. But right now he's doing well as the backup center. Um, but, uh, you know, this to see all these. And then Beecham, 60.7. Paris Johnson, 59.8. Um you know. Is this going to be the first year since we've been doing this podcast that we can say offensive line is a strength for the Cardinals? I know. Well, DJ Humphreys, 56.1, 55.4 pass blocking, 56.7 run blocking. Sorry, man. Keep coddling him. It's not working. Um, You know, just bugs me. Maybe a trade before the deadline is the answer, especially because the the Cardinals are looking more so at 2024 and trying to figure out who are long term players on the roster. So maybe they maybe they make a move off of one of the tackles at the deadline. Yeah, I could see it. You know, I could see it. Not and... sure which one. I mean, it's not going to be Paris Johnson, obviously, but of the other three, I'm not sure which one it would be. Yes, I know. Um It'll be my favorite. It'll be Josh Jones. <laughs> it won't be Paris Jones. I mean, my Paris Johnson's everyone. Yeah, favorite. no, it's it's going to be either Humphreys, Beecham, or Jones if they do move someone. You know, it's interesting. Paris Johnson and Clayton Toon have basically the same PFF grade. And everyone's raving about Paris Johnson. And, you know, like I said, Bob McManaman, there's nothing special about Clayton Toon's doing nothing special. Oh, okay. So does Michael Wilson. All three of them. You have four rookies in a row here, all with the same 
like 58 grade. Wilson, Toon, Johnson, and Blake Whitehart, the tight end, 58.2. So, you know, look at those rookies. Um, might have been better if we'd had rookie camp like other teams did. But um, the guy I expected more of was Joel Honigford, the blocking tight end from uh, Michigan. He's got a 70.7 blocking grade. So that's what I'm, that's what gets me. And I look at Jeff Swain, 57.9 blocking grade, run blocking grade. That's why in my latest projection of the players I wanted to keep, I'm, I'm higher on haunting for having him for four years than Swain for one year. Um, I think he's a better block. I think he's got better upside. That's what we need. I think, you know, with McBride and Ertz, we got receivers and guys who can block. But uh, let's see McBride's blocking with 67.7 run blocking. Good boy, McBride. Um, that's good. That's a that's an encouraging sign. So, but uh, Marquise Hayes, 76.5 pass blocking. It's the run blocking that it's gotten him down 44.2. He's getting out quick a little. Um, once he settles in, boy, once he gets his paws on you, good night. Um, I'm hoping they keep him. I I think he's got very good potential. I think he's getting the rust out and not playing for a year or two and getting in shape and recovering from his injuries. But, you know, I wouldn't quit on that kid. Uh, like, I have him in my... I want the Cardinals to keep him in the 53. I think there's room for him. I'm wondering, too, about this kid, Howerton. Jacobs. We got guys. Who, and this, this uh, you know, the way that uh, they're being coached, I think, is really good. The, the zone running game looks promising to me. And, boy, did, uh, you know, did, did, uh, DiMarcado had a nice game. You know, he's he's really come on. And, of course, uh, Tyson Williams had a great game in game one. And then uh, Ingram was a bell cow um, this past week. He played. He was balling. Connor looked great in it. You know, be interesting to see uh, more, more commitment to it. And... Uh, you know, than what we've seen in the preseason. But, uh, but yeah, so uh, early game this week in Minnesota. Um, and uh, hope you guys have a really wonderful week. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions, uh, please send them to me at WBJMitch at Twitter and at Revenge of the Birds, where we post uh, the links to this show. And uh, thanks again for you know, listening in and until next time, may the red rain of Super Bowl confetti shower down on you into a red, red sea. Boy, that'd be the day, right? Red rain.